welcome NFL football fans. That time again, time for another edition of NFL Football Talk. This is an Inside Sports production. I'm your host, Charles E. Smith Jr. And hey, three weeks in the books. We're going to go ahead and take a look back at uh, a tumultuous week three in which uh, a lot of teams lost. Uh, everybody was talking about the political messages going on. But uh, a lot of upsets last week. I mean, Denver lost, Oakland lost, the Steelers lost, uh, Carolina lost. A lot of just um, a lot of butt kicking going on. So let's go ahead and get right into it here. So as you know, I do not work alone. I do enlist the help of only the very, very best. So here he is, and uh, fortunately, he's safe from that uh, canyon fire out here somewhere in undisclosed location in uh, beautiful Southern California. The pride of Rutgers University, the man many of you already follow on Twitter at Chris L Sports, Chris Lardieri. Chris, what's up out there, man? Charles, thanks again. Yes, thankfully the uh, wind has cooperated. I just heard a helicopter go over. Uh, a lot of brave firefighters battling mm-hmm. that blaze, and uh, knock on wood, it looks like they're starting to get it under control. But one never knows in Southern California in September and October fire season. Yep, there we go. So, you know, let's let's go ahead and get right into this. Now, we had the all the upsets this past week. Uh, you know, Denver losing to the Buffalo, Oakland getting squashed by the Redskins, Pittsburgh losing to Chicago, Baltimore getting absolutely destroyed by the Jacksonville Jaguars in London. Uh, you know, you got minor, of course, my Miami Dolphins laid an egg against the New York Jets, but that happens sometimes. But you know, do you think maybe it was a weekend where uh, a lot of teams weren't necessarily focused on football the way they should have been? Yeah, I think so, especially with the Raiders and the Seahawks. I mean, the Seahawks have kind of been ground zero for the protests. Mm-hmm. And when I hear they had a four-hour meeting before the game, that's not a good right. sign. I mean, hard to be focused, and you got a lot of that on your mind. Um, looks like the, the Raiders, too. Um, they really threw a dud in Washington. I was surprised by that. Um, listen, with your Dolphins, I do have to clarify something. Jay Cutler is their quarterback, so all excuses are off. But when you have Jay Cutler, you never know what you're going to get. So I'll, I'll just blame him. And look, um, I don't know. Jay Cutler's like a box of chocolates, right? Oh, geez, no kidding. <laughs> but, you know, hey, look, look on the bright side, Jets fans. You're now the best team in the New York tri-state area. And the Giants uh, literally and proverbially have a dog named Odell Beckham Jr. who celebrates touchdowns and creates another uh, – controversy in the Big Apple. <laughs> yeah, that's true. What about your, you know, your 0-3 New York Giants? That's one that I kind of left out. It's not necessarily an upset that they lost to uh, Philadelphia, but now here they are, 0-3 in that tough uh, NFC East. So maybe panic time there? I don't know. It could be. I mean, if this were the NBA, we'd just go 76ers and tank the season here for the Giants, right? <laughs> um, look, a, a kind of a perfect storm. The defense let them down at times. Uh, the offense couldn't get going. Questionable play calling uh, by Ben McAdoo, not only going for it uh, in a, a fourth and goal, but the play calling was atrocious. Um, Sterling Shepard, look, we can get into this later. I still don't know what a catch is in the NFL. I couldn't yeah. explain it to my kids. When you catch the ball and then bobble it after your two feet are down out of bounds and it's not a reception, I don't know. But regardless, you know, it was fitting for them to lose on a 61-yard field goal, and and honestly, with the Beckham mess now, we're back to where Tom Coughlin was in 2015 with the Josh Norman incident. Um, could be chaos in that locker room, and frankly, I don't have a lot of confidence in McAdoo's play calling or coaching or counseling abilities for that matter. That's true, and it's almost as though Beckham doesn't understand that this is a contract year. You'd think he'd want to be 
you know, doing everything exactly right to maximize his value, uh, you know, for the upcoming offseason. You would think, but you know what? OBJ is OBJ, going back to the old uh, baseball player, Manny being Manny Ramirez. Uh, that's, I guess, <laughs> the only way you can describe it. Even some of the Giants teammates in the locker room really don't want to talk about it anymore. So, I mean, the guy's a phenomenal talent. If he ever screwed his head on straight, I mean, the, the sky's the right. limit for him. But um, until then, I don't know if he needs attention or what, but uh, – yeah, not looking good for the Giants or my prediction of them winning the NFC East. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then out here, we got to talk about uh, you know the couple of teams out here out west. Well, one is the LA Rams, who it looks like uh, Jared Goff may finally be getting uh, you know getting it together. I like what I saw in the Thursday night game. Granted, it was San Francisco, and everybody can just dismiss it. But what I liked was I think Goff is finally to the point where he can actually see the layers of the defense. And I saw him throwing into windows where the receiver wasn't quite open, but he knew they were going to be there. And that is something that Steve Young said when he started doing that. That's when he turned the corner as a quarterback. So I think Goff may be headed in the right direction. Definitely. I mean, Sean McVay's done a phenomenal job. I know we're only three games in, but he looks more confident. His throws are more accurate. Uh, mm-hmm. Chris Collinsworth showed on the telecast his, his release is faster. Looks like a completely different quarterback. And I mean, if you don't believe me or you're skeptical – Look at that bomb he threw to Sammy Watkins, a phenomenal catch, and uh, you know, kind of doing a Willie Mays over-the-shoulder routine. Right. <laughs> Goff really put the, the ball on the money. So, um, look, if I'm the Rams, the, the way this league works, they've got a, a weak schedule. Mm-hmm. You can call me crazy. I said a few weeks ago Jared Goff would do well against the 49ers in fantasy. I hope you listen to me. But I'll go out on a limb here. I mean, it's not within reason for the, the Rams to go 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and, and seven if they continue at this pace. Um, the, the Cardinals are definitely vulnerable. They've already beaten the right. 49ers once, and we know historically that the Rams play the Seahawks tough. So uh, I think things are looking much brighter for the Rams and their neighbors a uh, little south of them, the Chargers. <laughs> and the Chargers, I mean, again, they didn't actually sell out StubHub Center, which, only, which seats less than 30,000 even though the tickets technically were sold. But there were a lot of empty seats. And the the Chiefs were in town. It was a sea of red there. In fact, it was so bad they did not do player introductions because they didn't want to have the visiting team out-yell the home crowd. So uh, the Chargers now, they're 0-3, just dropped another game. So I, I don't know. I've never seen a relocation go like this horribly. But I don't know. The NFL may wind up with a, with a huge problem with the Chargers out here. I think they already have a problem. And look, we talked about this multiple times over the years. The Chargers are not an L.A. team, despite what Roger right. Goodell wanted to ram down your throat. They've got a San Diego <laughs> fan base. That's who roots for them. I know it bleeds into parts of South Orange County, for those of you not familiar with geography here. But, uh, you know, look, they shouldn't have moved. Number one, San Diego botched that up. That's another topic for another another time. But to go right. into a soccer stadium and to be unprepared for this, uh, really, it's just turning into a big mess. I mean, there's some rumors out there that the, the NFL's concerned and they're thinking about, well, is there potentially an option for them to play in San Diego for a couple years, a la the Raiders and Oakland having this final swan song before they go to Vegas? Mm-hmm. How can you even do that when the fan base is already alienated? But uh, it's been completely botched, and look, we have no one to blame but Roger Goodell and Dean Spanos. Spanos just wanted to move because if he took his house and put it in a pricier zip code, it's going to appreciate. I mean, short of him selling the team, I don't know how this gets resolved. Yeah, that's that's true. So an abundance of problems there, uh, which, you know, their 0-3 record is just, uh, you know, belies what is out there. But, you know, we got to talk about the whole thing of, 
You had all these choreographed demonstrations here this past weekend, uh, kneeling because of the national anthem and what Trump said about uh, about the athletes. And, you know, I just still, we, gotta, we just got to say something on this here. I still think it's no matter what may be going on, you still respect the country, you honor the flag, and I think that what the commissioner should do is, if these guys want to kneel, that's, that's fine. Go ahead. You feel that's your right. But have each of the players write 500 words on why they are kneeling for the national anthem. Because you can't tell me the 1,600 players all of a sudden agree on exactly the same thing. They don't. They all have their different reasons. And if you want to affect change here, I think that if you had all the players do that who are going to kneel, you'd have 500 different uh, 500 word things from all these different players, and you can look at all this variety of reasons, and uh, I think that could provide the tapestry that you need to look at the different issues that people feel are in society. So accountability and context, so that you don't just have all the uh, the bickering going on. Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's call it as we see it here. Donald Trump went on a rally for a candidate who tonight ended up did not winning down in Alabama and decided to call a guy who's sitting on the couch like you and I out of the league, Colin Kaepernick, an SOB, and you've had a uh, proverbial right. S-storm, as they say. Um, right. Look, here's what I have to say. If the guys want to do it, great. I didn't agree with the way Kaepernick necessarily approached it, but that said, this is America. He could do what he wants. He's not mm -hmm. burning a flag. I'm not in favor of that either, but whether you like right. it or not, People protest for religious things, Planned Parenthood, Ten Commandments, you name it. That's what's great about America. And I get what Kaepernick was doing. Victor Cruz had a great line. Well, I don't necessarily agree with him kneeling for the, the national anthem, Cruz said last year. He has his right to protest, and he's got a point. We need to listen to that. But to, to drag Kaepernick back into it for political reasons, all Donald Trump did is unite the players and the owners for the first time ever when last week we were talking about there's going to be collective bargaining hell to pay in a couple of years and the agreement's up and right. everyone's sick of Goodell. So uh, his unintended consequences is he united a lot of people. But look, I mean, um, there are people who I've seen at the National Anthem with their hat on and they refuse to take it off and they're disrespectful. Mm -hmm. So... Um, honestly, I don't know how politics got involved. Well, I, I know how in this case, but when <laughs> politics gets involved in sports, they're strange bedfellows. But look, um, this is America. These guys can do what they want. I think uh, some of the people like Michael Bennett, who actually got allegedly attacked by cops in Las Vegas, has a point. I mean, we'll see how that materializes. And then mm -hmm. there are other guys who, you know, I don't know why they do it. There's a catcher on the Oakland A's who knelt. Good for him. But now I don't see that storm in baseball. What gets me is the people I read on social media I'm never watching the NFL again. Charles, look, you and I know that's not true. People are going to watch football. It's a drug, whether they gamble, whether they play fantasy football. Frankly, it's the best real reality television out there, and people enjoy it. And college football is great, too. Don't get me wrong. I know their ratings are up. But, look, they're just as corrupt as any other organization, as we saw today with a, a, a federal attorney come down, cracking down on real crime in the NCAA. So, I mean, look, you, you could say that all you want, but – I'm still watching football. I enjoy it. And I guess Donald Trump really elicited a lot of great games. We had two overtime games, including the, the first one Aaron Rodgers ever won, which I never knew about. Uh, a lot of close <laughs> calls and the uh, the infamous 10-second tickoff that cost the poor Lions a game. Another rule I'll never understand. But, yeah, so th thank you, President Trump, for uh, – for creating this firestorm and getting people interested in the NFL again and uh, not talking about the Kardashians' babies, I guess. Yeah. Well, I don't know, but it's because, uh, you know, DirecTV is offering now, they're offering refunds for people who had Sunday ticket, and uh, they want to, 
they want to cancel it for the political reasons. The one thing I don't like about it is, you know, sports is escapism. It is from all the other things that we that we have in the daily life. And then football or any sport you watch, that's kind of that pure thing where you don't have to deal with all those outside things. And now if you start politicizing sports, I mean, that takes away from the purity of it. And a lot of the reasons why you, it is nice to sit down in front of the TV on a on a Sunday and watch football all day because you don't have to deal with all that nonsense. We'll call it nonsense. That Monday through Friday stuff. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, I was sitting there Sunday. Um, I needed the chiefs to win. I needed Kareem hunt to get me some points. And I was so excited <laughs> to see him rip that run off against the chargers. That's what football is about. Whether you're a degenerate gambler or my son who loves the game, or, you know, you've got your, if you're like me, you like the giants, you know, your season's all but done. I just want right. to see some good football and, not worry about what's going on in the real world for a full a few hours. I completely agree. And I think anyone who mocks that or says, oh, you know, like OBJ did with fantasy football players, it's fun. All right. You know, not, yeah. not everyone leads these pampered lives. You know, we're a lot of average people here just trying to make a living and do the right thing and raise our kids. And once a week, whether it be three or six hours, we enjoy watching football. It makes us happy. You know, it's yeah. not crack cocaine. There you go. Uh, although it feels like that sometimes. <laughs> Hey, I made it through the 80s squeaky queen. That's all I have to say about it. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to actual football now. I mean, the uh, so Seattle Seahawks, uh, they lose this past weekend, uh, lose to Tennessee. They're sitting at one and two. You know, we could possibly have the Rams have good defense there. They're sitting at two and one. Uh, you look at the problems with Seattle. I think Seattle, finally, they've lost enough pieces to where – they just are not the formidable team they have been. Their offensive line is pretty much terrible. Uh, they don't really have a running game, and you can't leave their defense on the field all day. So they've got their problems. We saw Arizona in their – what did they do? They completely dominated Dallas in the first half of their Monday night game, but they're only up 7 nothing. And ultimately, Dallas starts steamrolling them in the second half. They've got their problems without David Johnson – so uh, there could be some real surprises there in that NFC West and maybe a shift here. Yeah, absolutely. This could be one of those years like the good old days where 8-8, eight 9-7, eight, and seven, or heaven forbid 7-9 and nine wins this division. I mean, <laughs> the, the Seahawks, I know you were high on them in the preseason, but yeah. uh, you know, I, I thought they'd at least win the division. They're exceeding even my lowered expectations. Um, and then I think in that locker room, you're still, there's still the potential boiling over for a mutiny because for whatever reason, Richard Sherman cannot get over that Super Bowl loss. And it's an us versus them attitude, but all fingers pointing at Russell Wilson. Look, Russell Wilson played great against Tennessee. If anything, the defense failed them. Marcus Mariota and right. the running game of Tennessee really worked them. So they're not as invincible as they used to be. I think their they're secondary is vulnerable. And if you've got an O-line that'll stop their pass rush, their game's taken away. Cardinals have really, I mean, I was high on them. They Without David Johnson, I, they're just at best an average team. So, I mean, you know, you can blame Carson Palmer all you want, but that, that team really is missing the only true weapon other than Larry Fitzgerald, who had a phenomenal game uh, on offense. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, let's go ahead and get into it. As everyone knows, we do uh, several segments here. One is the picks. We take five of the more intriguing games of the week uh, and give you our picks on those games. And then we have our gambler's delight pick which is uh, helpful if maybe you're in Vegas and got 20 bucks to put down. And we also have some fantasy football advice. And just remember, uh, if you're not uh, necessarily completely about the NFL, 
We do have uh, NBA on here also. Uh, Anthony Barbera and Gerald Glassford do a great job, so make sure you check that out on the uh, Inside Sports when you check it out on iTunes. So definitely going to be uh, getting all that ready for you. So, Mr. Lardieri, before we get into the picks, uh, what do you got for us? Um, I, I think in light of all the uh, political issues we had over the weekend, there are a couple of themes that recur from year to year that make me feel good about the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the phantom drop pass of Sterling Shepard. Um, you looked at another <laughs> phantom offensive pass interference game. Uh, Trent Taylor of the 49ers laid a hand on a Rams cornerback, and suddenly that's offensive pass interference that ultimately affected a potential game-winning drive for the 49ers. The 10-second runoff. Uh, replays not going the way you expect. So it, it's good and heartwarming to see that uh, some things are still right in the NFL. I, for the life of me, Charles, cannot ex- figure out this 10-second runoff other than I believe it was instituted in the 1950s for some reason. And um, I guess this is the first time in modern history that it affected the end of a game. Can can you figure it out? Because I can't. And I've, I've been watching <laughs> football for decades. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's... Uh... Just passing strange, as they say. So, you know what, Chris? Uh, let's go ahead and get right into it. The picks of the week. So, for the on the season, I've got a record of twelve and three. Uh, Mr. Lardieri, right behind me at eleven and four. Uh, we both did pretty well last week. So, Chris, why don't you break down the first game for us? Now, the first game, the upstart, uh, resurgent Los Angeles Rams head into Big D, coming off a uh, a nice win. Last night in Arizona, Monday Night Football with John Gruden throwing superlatives around to anyone and everyone. Uh, The Rams go in. Let me check. They are a uh, a seven-and-a-half-point dog going into Arlington. I know Todd Gurley went on the set after Thursday Night Football and told Michael Irvin they were going to beat the Cowboys. Um, Don't know if that's the case. I do think it'll be a good game. Um, You know what? What the heck? I'll pick the Rams. They're playing well. Uh, There are aspects of the Cowboys' defense I don't like. And I think if the Rams can get Gurley controlling the ball like they did early in the game against the 49ers, um, the Rams' defense been a little bit of a disappointment this year. But I do think that's one team with uh, Aaron Donald and company. They can contain Ezekiel Elliott, try and make uh, Dak Prescott beat you. Look, I know he did it last night, but uh, what the heck? Let's go with the upset pick, and we'll say the Rams continue to roll and battle for L.A., Charles. Are you fired up? Rams win in an upset. All righty. Well, Gurley with three touchdowns uh, last week, and Sammy Watkins also getting uh, getting in sync with Jared Goff last week as well. He had two. Now, remember, Zeke had his worst outing ever, I think. What did he have against the uh, the Broncos two weeks ago? Nine carries for eight yards. And then he really wasn't that great against Arizona either. He had two long runs, one of 20, and I think another of about 10 or 15 yards. And that kind of made everything look respectable. But I still don't think he's really hit stride. And, you know, I hate that you did it first, but I was going to take the Rams to, to pull the upset here as well. So I got to go ahead and stick with that. Um, I think there's just going to be – it's going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, but I, I like the Rams to go in there and then, you know, is Dallas going to have a lot of turmoil next week? We don't know. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take the Rams as well. Uh, there's a lot of room on this bandwagon. Charles, welcome aboard. <laughs> okay, and then the next game uh, – Tennessee Titans fresh off their win over over Seattle. They're going to be in Houston to take on the Houston Texans. The Texans coulda, woulda, shoulda beat the Patriots this past week, but they didn't because, well, you know, late in the game, you got to, you got fourth and short. You can go for it. 
go for the touchdown and possibly ice the game. They don't do that. They kick a field goal, leave enough time for Tom Brady to pull off some last-minute magic, and they lose the game. So if they were a little bit more aggressive, I think they would have won that game. As You know, Tennessee is playing well. They're both playing well. But I'm going to go with Houston in this game. I think they learned from last week. I like the way they played all season long. The defense is really stout. Uh, home field, I'm going with the Houston Texans. Uh, Mr. Lardieri. As much as I like the the Titans this year, I'm going to agree with you. I think on opening weekend, you know, we talk about distractions. Houston, a lot going on coming off the hurricane. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think last week was a bit of a crushing loss. But you look, I mean, Deshaun Watson, I know it's early, is emerging as as the Houston Texans look like they made a good move picking him. I know people like to dissect his arm, strength, accuracy. The guy's a winner, and we saw that last week. And if you don't believe me, look at the respect Tom Brady paid him at the end of the game. Um, The running game, uh, we'll talk about this in the fantasy segment a little. They've got this rookie, Donta Foreman, who's uh, kind of a good one-two punch with Lamar Miller. They can control the ball against Tennessee and have Watson only throw when he needs to. I think it could Mm -hmm. be a slugfest, but the, uh, the Texans eke it out at home. Yep, I like that. So right now Tennessee is two and one. The Texans at one and two, and if this all goes well, well goes well for the Texans, they'll both be at five hundred after the game. So uh, what do you think, uh, Chris? Go ahead and break down the next one for us. Game three, uh, NFC West battle, if you want to call it that. I guess we'll put it in quotes. <laughs> the Forty Nine ers seven point underdogs heading into the, the Great Toaster Oven Stadium in Glendale. Um, I really don't know how to dis- dissect and analyze this other than these are two struggling teams. I do feel, however, at the end of the day, I'll take an old beat-up Carson Palmer over Brian Hoyer, who threw the uh, quickest interception that uh, led to one play later, a touchdown for the Rams. I don't trust him. Uh, the 49ers, while they look good, I, they, they did kind of rally in garbage time against the Rams and Watkins and a couple other players, including Tavon Austin, had gotten knocked out with concussions at that point. So, uh I, I don't know why or how. I'll just say I'll go with the home team and pick the Cardinals. Uh, sorry, audience. I don't have much more expert analysis for you on this game. <laughs> yeah, Arizona's definitely a different team without David Johnson. So uh, the Niners at 0-3, the, the card sitting at 1-2. and It's. I think this is going to be a coulda, woulda, shoulda for San Francisco. All their fans, they're going to look at that, and they're going to look at the few plays that's where uh, it could have tipped in their team's favor. But, uh, yeah, in the end, I'm going to go – I don't think that Arizona can screw up mightily enough to, to drop this game against San Francisco. That's what it comes down to. I think it's going to be ugly, just, just flat-out ugly. But, uh, yeah, I like Arizona in this one too. Yeah, capital U ugly, Charles. <laughs> okay, and then a uh, big AFC West matchup, the Oakland Raiders – in Denver to take on the Broncos, both of them sitting at two and one, both of them coming off disappointments last week. Oakland just, they got manhandled by the Washington Redskins last week, just manhandled, no other way to put it. And Denver looked just kind of weak against Buffalo, even though that was the worst uh, personal foul penalty I've ever seen in my life, unsportsmanlike, uh, late in the game against with Von Miller on Tyrod Taylor, just giving him the hand like he's going to help him up, and then he yanks it away. They're both standing there laughing and, and talking with each other, and then the ref throws a flag. I don't get it. But anyways, the game never should have been that close. But it's early in the season still. Oakland going into Denver, and David Derek Carr, I'm sorry, coming off that bad performance in Washington. I don't know what they're going to do here, but I like the defense of Denver. I like that thin air right now before everybody is truly in shape. 
I'm going Denver here over Oakland. That's the first time we're going to disagree. Um, I'm going with <laughs> Oakland, and there are a couple reasons. I really think last week, as we discussed, there are a lot of distractions. Um, look, Oakland goes into Denver every year. They know how to play in that altitude. They've even won games there when they were inferior teams in the last few years. Um, I just think last week was a just complete mess. I think they get back on board. Um, ultimately, I think the Bills had a good blueprint to defend Trevor Simeon. And if the mm-hmm. Raiders can stop the run, they didn't do a great job of it against the Redskins. But if they can, uh, C.J. Anderson and now the emergence of Jamal Charles, I think they've got a shot to win this game. Uh, Derek Carr was atrocious on, on Sunday. Was. I don't see that happening again. I don't see Michael Crabtree having one catch for seven yards. Uh, could be your typical back-and-forth AFC West slugfest, but uh, going with Oakland in the upset in the Mile High City. Well, we shall see. Also, remember, they said Amari Cooper, I think he has six or seven drops already this year. So uh, that's another one of the Raiders who really needs to get going if they're to have a chance here. So, uh, Mr. Lardieri, break down the last game for us. Final game, Monday night. And, you know, you got to hand it to ESPN. They've gotten lucky with the Monday night slate the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. they got another good one. The uh, surprising 2-1 and Washington Redskins going to Arrowhead Stadium to face the undefeated, one of the best teams in football, Kansas City Chiefs. Washington, a seven-point dog. Um, Kirk Cousins does not look like a man who uh, is complacent with his continued one-year, $20 million contracts. He's he's playing <laughs> for his next one. Um, you know, Even with uh, injuries, they're, they're Patrick Backfield with uh, Chris Thompson doing a good job with Jordan Reed out. The, the venerable Vernon Davis steps up and catches a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, they got a very unsung defense. Their pass rush really lit up the Raiders' offensive line and made life miserable for Carr all night. That said, I just like what the Chiefs are doing. They're home. Kareem Hunt, uh, I'm not taking his face down off my banner here uh, until he proves he's a bust. I mean, the guy just breaks off a great run every week. It really puts teams away. And I, I think with that and the way Tyreek Hill's playing, and look, Travis Kelsey hasn't even gotten going. Imagine when Alex Smith starts distributing the ball to him. I think they're very dangerous on offense. I think it will be a good game. Uh, don't by any means necessarily feel it will be a blowout, but I, I do think the Chiefs pull this out remain undefeated. So when does Travis Kelsey get going? Is that when he has, what, uh, eight catches for 115 yards and two unsportsmanlike calls? Is that pretty much a Travis Kelsey day, right? Yeah, I don't know if the over-under is one or two on the penalties, but, yeah, I'd say that's about right. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I like, to, I like the Redskins, too. I just think that uh, – the pass rush of the Kansas City Chiefs, I think um, Kirk Cousins does tend to get rattled a little bit. As I think you know, the Redskins do have the underrated defense a little bit. Uh, underrated overall, I think they are. But I think the pass rush is going to be a little bit too much for Cousins. I think he's going to get rattled. A few bad throws, that's going to happen. That'll be the difference in the game. So this is going to be a good one throughout. I'm definitely going to be watching it, uh, no matter if they kneel or stand. But I'm going to go with the hometown Chiefs as well. Four out of five in agreement, Charles. We're, we're already making pro- progress here on, on inside sports. I like it. Um, and I think your Travis Kelsey jokes are warranted, too, for the record. That wasn't a joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, everybody. So uh, that's the picks of the week. And just to recap, we're both taking the Rams to upset Dallas. Uh, we're going to take Houston to uh, defend the home turf against the Tennessee Titans. We're going to take Arizona to defend the nest against the uh, San Francisco 49ers. And we're going to split on Denver and Oakland. Uh, Chris likes Oakland's chances there in Denver. I say the mile-high air works in Denver's favor, and the Broncos come out victorious. 
And then we both agree that Kansas City will uh, get the win against the invading Washington Redskins there on uh, Monday night. So, Chris, before we get into the Gambler's Delight section, uh, you got any more wisdom for us, man? Sure. Um, read an interesting piece in the Washington Post last week that talked about why college football is more interesting than the NFL. And it mm-hmm. laid out a number of arguments which are interesting, one of which is the, the offenses that you see in college and high school, more of this pistol, a little more exciting. And then when these guys get to the NFL, they don't necessarily aren't necessarily prepared for this stodgier, more conservative type play. And then I was watching the Chargers and Chiefs, and I realized, and the announcers talked about this, including Rich Gannon. Now, Andy Reid's really done a good job of implementing aspects of that pistol. You'll see Tyreek Hill running from the, the, the backfield at times, and the way they get those quick passes, that really helps Alex Smith and has kind of revitalized mm-hmm. his career. So while I do agree, college is a more wide open game. I, I think it's good that uh, Andy Reid's having success doing this. And you know, let's see longer term, this becomes a trend in the NFL. I know Chip Kelly tried it, but he really didn't have the personnel or frankly the brains that a Reid does. Uh, <laughs> Chip. And uh, so that's something to keep on a, lo- a longer term trend here in TV viewing habits, et cetera. And then finally, Charles, look, we're headed into what, week four? I think week it's four. time to start the coaching hot seat. Why not? Marvin Lewis, Ben McAdoo, you're up. You know, I don't have odds yet, but I think they're the first two names I'd like to nominate. <laughs> All righty. And uh, well, what are they going to do? What about San Diego? No, you got to give him a chance there. Yeah, he, he's a rookie. You know, it's it's hard moving. Look at Jeff Fisher got a bonus and an extension just for you know packing up the Mayflower vans from St. Louis to L.A. So uh, he had been with the Rams for a few years. So we'll give Lynn some time. It's not, not all his fault. His owners bungled that. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so... Uh, now let's go ahead and get into the gambler's delight pick. You know what? On the season, I'm one and two with these, and uh, Chris is a sparkling three and zero, including that great call last week taking Houston and 13 points against uh, against the New England Patriots. I thought that Denver would uh, would definitely easily cover the three point spread in Buffalo. Imagine my surprise. So I'm only one and two. Chris is a sparkling three and zero. Chris, you're the leader. Take it away. Charles, for the record, it's better to be lucky than good. That said, uh, there were there were two games I, I kind of liked this week, you know, I, and they're both games we talked about in our pick segment. Um, I do like Oakland going into Denver. However, it looks like that line's only plus two and a half for Oakland, right. and if it ends up being a close game, a field goal battle, you, know, you always want that half a point for insurance. So mm-hmm. the game I'm going to pick is one we talked about earlier, Houston home dog. When I see home underdog, my eyes light up. It's only a point and a half. Some places may have it two, two and a half. If you can get more points, the better. Essentially, it turns into a pick 'em, or if it is a one-point game, that's good for the Texans. I think they're going to win outright. So uh, we're going to go with J.J. Watt, uh, Deshaun Watson, my new favorite quarterback. Uh, I'm still bummed they didn't beat the Patriots, but it was nice that they at least covered and gave them a run for their money. Houston Texans is the pick. <laughs> okay, and mine, you know, I'm getting that big fat point spread in a game that we that we picked, and actually this is going to be a great time for this team to really announce, uh, put the world, the football world, on notice. Take the Rams and seven and a half points in Dallas. Take the Rams and take those points, people. And uh, hey, I don't know. The Rams may win, they may lose. It doesn't matter. Take those seven and a half points. Dallas really hasn't gotten going yet this year, so Rams plus seven and a half in Dallas. Take that one. And remember, you know, we don't advocate gambling, but if you're in the sports book, you got $20 burning a hole in your pocket, go ahead and uh, 
you know, try your luck out there. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I wanted to pick the Rams, but, you know, Eric Dickerson wasn't there to run all over the Cowboys like the 1983 wildcard game. But uh, <laughs> I do like the pick, especially if you get that extra half a point. All right, there we go. Okay, people, so that's it. The pick segment, the Gambler's Delight. Only one thing left, and that is the man with many, 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 many years of experience in fantasy sports. Chris, take it away. Fantasy football, what do you got for all the players out there? Charles, this has been an unusual year. My team is in a 14-team league. I'm 3-0. and Look, a lot of it has to do with Kareem Hunt, but every week someone steps up. Last week it was Sammy Watkins, who people – laugh that I drafted. He's my number three wide receiver. I'm happy to have him, and I hope he's recovered from his concussion. Um, look, a, a few pieces of information I like to pass along. People love to look at rent rankings, and you know, look, there's a lot of money to be made by on some of these websites to give your rankings every week. Um, I admit I've looked at them in the past, but I'm at the point in my life where I look at them and sometimes I laugh. <laughs> had you looked at rankings last week, you would have probably had Russell Wilson T.Y. Hilton, guys like that on the bench. DeMarco Murray, everyone had written him off and said Derrick Henry was the heir apparent. Right. If you've got guys that are like starters, let them play. Unless you know they're going up against the 85 Bears and they're they're coming back out of retirement against your team and Mike Singletary is suddenly 30 years younger, play your guys. I mean, you really got nothing to lose at that point. That said, if you need a quarterback, someone's really struggling, um, someone's hurt or banged up, you look at like if you have Sam Bradford, for instance, or if, mm -hmm. you know, you just feel Jay Cutler goes off the reservation too much. There are a number of what they call streaming candidates out there. Look, I said Jared Goff a few weeks ago. Let's stick with him. I think he could do well against the Dallas defense. Eli Manning, you know, Ben McAdoo really uh, blamed him for all the team's problems last week. But, you know, if this team's going to stink and be playing from behind, he might be throwing a lot. And as long as OBJ is healthy and not in the doghouse, ha, 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 I mean, the guy's going to get you some points. Um, look, Andy Dalton last week put up decent numbers. If you're really in a bind, it looks like he likes his new offensive coordinator. A.J. Green's been resurrected. And then the Deshauns, Watson and Kaiser. Deshaun will get you some running yards. He may even run in a touchdown. He's a lot, lot more conservative with the ball than Brock Osweiler. He doesn't force it. And look, Kaiser plays on a terrible team, but that's same with the Eli logic. They stink. He's going to be chucking the ball, and he gets some cheap rushing touchdowns too. Um, we've got some injuries to running backs. You look in San Diego. Potentially Brandon Oliver might be getting some more carries. With LeGarrette Blunt hurt in Philadelphia, Wendell Smallwood could be an option there. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Jamal Charles of the, the Broncos and Donta Freeman of the uh, foreman, excuse me, of the Texans, they look mm -hmm. like they're running well. Maybe you grab these guys, stash them on the bench. If one of the backs in front of them is ineffective or gets hurt, those are guys you could start in a few weeks. And then finally, look, um, we're heading into bye weeks. Keep an eye on the schedule. Know who's going to be out. Know when you go into waiver wire. All right, if I pick this guy up, make sure he's not having a bye week in a subsequent week. Or maybe your quarterback's on bye. Look for some of these streaming candidates I outlined for you. So moral of the story is plug and play the guys you have to. Be strategic. And frankly, don't read the rankings. Just watch games. Watch highlights. You'll see who's playing well. You don't need to know how many targets so-and-so had or how many drops Amari Cooper had. Right. Um, think of it as a football player, and I, I think that'll do you a lot more value than reading some guy's random rankings. All right. Fantastic, everybody. There is the ever-eloquent Mr. Chris Lardieri. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at ChrisLSports. You can follow me on Twitter at TheInsideSports. So for Chris Lardieri, this is Charles E. Smith, Jr. Thank you for watching NFL Football Talk, and we will see everybody next week. Brink here from Super BS, talking about the things you know you love and the things you'd love to know. Join us weekly for a podcast about video games. Mostly. 
And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And as part of the inside sports scene, we thought we'd go back into the world of the NBA. And who better to do it with me than the man in the know when it comes to the NBA scene? It's Anthony Barber. And how are you today? I'm doing good, man. Always good to be on. Love talking sports, love talking basketball with you. So um, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy as well. Anytime we can talk uh, anything related to the round ball, uh, we just uh, I just love the opportunities indeed. It's still a little bit of ways off. Uh, you know, as we talked about before we went on the air, camps are still on the way out. But you know what? It's still going to be a, a great season coming up. But we've got to talk about some of the couple things that, that have come up over the past couple weeks as far as during the summer is concerned. And what better topic to talk about than the Kyrie Irving trade and how that's reshaping the Eastern Conference. Kyrie Irving of the, well, then Cleveland Cavaliers uh, decided over the summer he did not want to play or demanded a trade, didn't want to be part of a LeBron James-led Cleveland Cavaliers team. So he decided to uh, maybe make his position clear that he didn't want to come back to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So they were able to engineer a trade with the Boston Celtics. If you haven't heard, but I think pretty much every sports fan, sports fan out there has. So um, and in, in its place, Cleveland got a first round pick, upcoming draft, a second round pick, also as well, Ante Zizic, uh, also as well, Jay Crowder, and of course, as well, Isaiah Thomas. So I ask you, first and foremost, on paper, who do you think may or may not have won the trade when it comes to Kyrie Irving going to the Celtics? Um, I, I would say, on paper, just winning the trade team for team, uh, maybe the Boston Celtics um, for the long haul. But if you're talking about team for team right now, um, I think you can do, I think you can give it an even split depending on the health of Isaiah Thomas because of what you get with Jay Crowder, what you get with Isaiah Thomas when he comes back. And I mean, Cleveland is still my pick to come out of the East. So uh, as long as they have LeBron, I think, you know, they're a class of the Eastern Conference. Uh, but for the long haul past this year, I can see, uh, say, the, maybe the Boston Celtics uh, won that trade. Well, and that's one something I want to delve into more because there are serious questions when it comes to Isaiah Thomas' hip, so much so that actually that held up the trade and actually Cleveland got an additional second-round draft pick in order to complete the trade and have it go through. So I ask you, Anthony, it looks very serious as far as the, the hip injury for Isaiah Thomas is concerned. And in his free agent contract year, he wants to play the best he can, but it doesn't look like that may happen till at least the second half of the season. That's uh, been the prognosis is that he could be out into December, maybe even you know up into the All Star game. Um, I think as long as he has gel with the team and he's ready for the playoffs, they'll be fine. Um, there, there's not a a lot of resistance in the Eastern Conference 
again, as long as they're healthy, um, you know, they picked up Derrick Rose in the off season. Uh, they still have LeBron. They still have love. Um, so they'll be fine. But as long as I, I regardless, I think this is a one year maneuver um, on the part of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't, I don't see them re-signing Isaiah Thomas for the long haul. Um, there's been speculation that LeBron's going to leave after this year. Um, so I think this is like their best effort to try to put enough around them to compete one more time. Well, and I don't blame you on that and uh, for thinking that because I, I agree with you as far as re-signing Isaiah Thomas unless something miraculously happens and he shows domination during the playoffs. I believe that he will probably go find a contract elsewhere within the league. Um, obviously, a 5'9 point guard with a potentially bad hip issue is something that a lot of teams will be scared away from uh, this coming off season, and that's for him. That's a debt, you know. That that's very you know sad because he's worked so hard. He's had everything put uh, uh, in front of him as far as roadblocks is concerned. Being the last pick in the draft the year he came out, and then being behind other individuals on the on the roster and not really getting his chance until he came over to Boston and in such a big way helped that Boston team become a major force in the Eastern Conference. It's so sad to see you know his the fruits of his labor not not being able to come to full fruition and and you know so much is riding on his future on on how he comes back if he comes back uh, at this point in time because this could be something that uh, chronically be wrong with him for at least the entire season. So we'll have to wait and see. But I'm going to uh, say that Cleveland may still be the, the best of the Eastern Conference because obviously the great LeBron is there. But there are two factors. LeBron is getting a little older, but he stays in tremendous shape. So I expect still dominance there. But because there is no Kyrie Irving there and there's no Isaiah Thomas there to compensate, I think there might be some issues with a lot of, of the regular season riding on his performance. So they're going to have to, Cleveland, have to gauge carefully exactly how they're going to utilize LeBron because they don't want to wear him out before the playoffs. So they're, again, we might have a situation where their record may not be the the best in the Eastern Conference at the time the playoffs roll around. But I, I definitely think if they can get LeBron in a healthy situation and add Isaiah Thomas at a competent level at that point in time, definitely look out for them come playoff time but we'll have to wait and see on that but your thoughts on maybe the tendency that the Cleveland Cavaliers Cavaliers might utilize LeBron James too much over the course of the season um I, I definitely think that's a, a possibility they've always used him as much as they can um even last year I think he was at the top of the league in usage um, he was, I think he led the league in minutes. Um, so th they're going to use him. Uh, he does keep himself in tremendous shape. I think that's why he misses games. I know everybody, you know, does the hoopla and all up in arms about him missing games, but that's why he misses games because, and there's this, this thought process that all oh, you can limit minutes, limit, limiting minutes is not the same as days rest. Um, this, you know, five to eight games over the course of the season, I think it, it gives him a fresher look going into those long games. And this, um, and this, and this new agreement with the players' union about lengthening the schedule to have better days off to do 
actually structure very few of the four to four games and five nights deals that they had so much of in the past and and reduce the number of back-to-backs may help him as well correct right um i think he'll still miss games um i think that play on the part of the nba was so that he does not miss big games so that they they don't begin to rest stars when you have um you know on thursdays and you know, big games, uh, uh, ABC games on Sunday, those kind of games where they've um, tried to put together these monster games during the course of the season on the schedule. They don't want those games missed. I don't think they're too concerned with um, the Tuesday night game, you know, in Milwaukee uh, as much as, you know, the Christmas Day game or, uh, again, the, the, the Sunday game against – the Lakers or whoever the big money teams are. I think those are the games that they don't want them to miss. But lengthening of the schedule is their way to try to meet the players halfway um, in regards to fixing that issue. I definitely think so as well. And personally, as we'll get into in a little bit uh, in regards to the schedule, I think they could go ahead and even make it a more uh, profitable situation for themselves and the league as well. But definitely uh, this could be some issues with Isaiah Thomas. Yep, but you talked about Jay Crowder a little bit. <laughs> Jay Crowder, excuse me, Jay Crowder has really uh, got a great contract and has provided a, a very nice standard with his uh, three-point shooting ability and the fact that he can play very, very solid defense. I, However, I, however, if he gets into a matchup with in the finals, you know, if people are looking for him to play a lot on Kevin Durant, yes, he will probably play a lot on Kevin Durant, but to have him being expected to stop Kevin Durant uh, or maybe even slow him down, I think is a little bit beyond expectations because there are very few players, period, who can slow Kevin Durant down at this stage, correct? Um, absolutely. I, I think. Uh, when it gets to the finals, I think LeBron will most likely carry that responsibility. Um, you'll probably switch Crowder back and forth from Clay Thompson to um, Steph Curry, uh, giving you some flexibility there, I think is is more important. That's kind of what they wanted from Iman Shumpert, and he wasn't that this year. Uh, so, you know, they've let him, you know, do whatever. And, and I think he – Jay Crowder, I'm sorry. Jay Crowder is one of the uh, big gets in this in this trade. I think he was one of the pieces that really made them say, okay, we can do this. Um, he can be very, very influential on the defensive end. Um, I think he brings um, also a bit of an attitude and them trying to go back, I think, to what they were two years ago, um, playing defense, being gritty when they won the championship as opposed to last year when they wanted to go, let's spread them out, let's shoot a bunch of threes, and let's play towards what the NBA is trying to become rather than being what they were and imposing their will. I I can't agree with you more on that. Like I said, Jay Crowder, he's a very nice get in the trade. Uh, it definitely has a very, very appealing contract over the next three years at a very, very uh, reasonable price all things considering uh, of course i would love to be paid seven million dollars a year myself but <laughs> and i think you would too anthony sounds like Absolutely. as well 
but uh, definitely uh, in respect and, and due to everything in the NBA, he definitely has a very uh, palatable contract and definitely provides a good depth for the Cleveland Cavaliers, which they sorely need and definitely will help them out over the long haul of the season. So and that being said, it looks like the Cleveland Cavaliers, even though the trade on the surface might favor Boston a little bit, uh, I think over this season we will still see if Isaiah Thomas comes back strong from that hip injury at some point in time of the year. It doesn't have to be right away. Obviously, we'll most likely be at, at the second half of the year. Uh, if he does, that's going to make Cleveland a force come playoff time and, and hopefully be able to give up and provide a better challenge to whoever comes out of the West, which will most likely be Golden State. Golden State. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think you and I, I think you and I even already acknowledge that at this point. In right. Time, so. Yeah. There's uh barring injury, uh I, I don't see anybody being able to compete with Golden State in the Western Conference. Um and, and nor do I. So it's it's you know it's not like we have to put people in suspense when we do our NBA preview show this right. time next month or anything like that. It's like it's not a surprise. It's it's almost <laughs> as if uh, it, here in Vegas the odds are you know it's 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 Warriors and everyone else, and it is it is definitely look at this point in the time like it was Warriors in the field. But like I said, we'll delve more into that in our NBA preview show in an upcoming episode down the road next month. But I will talk to you about a couple other issues that have. Uh, come about over the past few weeks. Um, one is uh, uh, obviously the commissioner uh, of the NBA, uh, Adam. Uh, he is going to impose uh, possibly some some uh, legislation to the owners to help fix the lottery system so that it will try and further diminish the possibility of teams outright tanking. And uh, i.e., trying to do whatever they can to lose games to get a better draft position. So I want to hear your thoughts on what you know you think about this policy possibly being changed. And do you think tanking is a huge issue in the NBA? A huge issue. Um, I think the NBA, out of you know all the leagues, the professional leagues, has one of the best anti-tampering systems when you talk about the draft lottery. Um, unlike the NFL, you know, if you have the worst record, you get the first pick. In the NBA, you can have the worst record and not get the first pick in the draft or even, you know, a top five pick. Um, tanking is a huge issue. I, I think, honestly, I think um, <laughs> that there's just so many teams in the league and there's not enough talent. That's really the issue. Um, there's also a free agency problem. A lot of these teams are in undesirable destinations, places that players don't want to play. Um, it's a reason that all these NBA players are going to the Western Conference to, you know, teaming up in cities that are viable team cities that they can have good family lives. And, and uh, this, this begs the question because, you know, with the way the, the current CBA is structured, the collective bargaining, bargaining agreement that the players union and Adam Silver, the, the NBA commission came up with as far as the agreement they come up with, you know, it is kind of concerning because the, the incentivize, you know, the incentivations that, uh, you know, it give the player for staying at these teams is much higher, but they're still, like you said, they're, they're wanting to go where either the, the teams, the prominent names or the family life is much preferred. Correct. 
Um, and I think in in the past, these incentives would have been uh, much more desirable. But I think some of these players are they're, they're becoming more intelligent um, <clears throat> at analyzing their situations um, and looking at like for guys with, with money, they can look at um, other opportunities to get money in other facets by being in better areas, being in better situations. Um, so I think that's where they're going. And they're thinking about being happier. Um, and, and they're willing to risk and willing to give up, let's say, 10, 20, 30 million dollars over the course of a three to five year, con- sometimes six year contract in order to do so, which makes in a lot of cases a lot of sense because they're still generating a lot of income anyways. Right. Um, so th- and that's a big thing. So, you know, you, you give these players opinion there's a lot of teams that are uh prime candidates for relocation and i think <laughs> relocation in a lot of these cities or a lot with a lot of these teams would help alleviate that um i know they were talking about expansion which i think is not a great idea in terms of uh product on the court because you think the pl- you it may be the a- player's pool is diluted correct yeah absolutely um and, and again the free agency um, clump in the Western Conference is not helping. With everybody moving towards the same teams, it's not helping um, Island around the NBA. So um, when you have that combined with the fact that the a lot of these teams, especially in the Eastern Conference, are in undesirable locations, it's you know putting the shot. You know, there's a deep end and the shallow end now. You know, as, as far as talent in the NBA and team teams to teams. I think that's a very astute observation. And I'm hoping that the NBA will recognize this at some point. Because as you see in the NFL, teams are just willing, if they don't get what they want, they're just willing to up and move anyways. And we could see that same trend follow in the NBA. And if it does, you know, I'm here in Vegas. I know we could use an NBA team. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, but if we can support an NFL team, I think an NBA team and an H- NHL team, I think we could support an NBA team nonetheless. But um, that being said, I, I, I agree with you as far as the, uh, you know, to the point of, of the actual schedule and, and obviously the salaries and, and the teams and whatnot. But I kind of say that I think there is an issue with the tanking because last year there was notable teams like like the Lakers, like uh, to some extent, even though they were saying they were trying to win, it, it you know, uh, became obvious that maybe that's not the case uh, near the end because Phoenix Suns were doing a much better job of, of trying to lose over the years. The Phoenix, uh, excuse me, the Philadelphia 76ers, they've been accused and have obviously made attempts to try and be as bad as possible to garner high picks. There's been a couple other teams noted as well. In fact, Atlanta this year looks like it's doing its very best to try and structure its team to be as bad as possible at this point in time. So I think there's still an issue with tanking um, and trying to level the playing field in the draft. Obviously, actually also makes it more interesting for those teams that are closer to playoff contention that could land a big pit big pick that could land them over the hump and I think that would just make things more exciting myself as well so I'm looking for something to change and be affected in that realm because it's 
if it becomes more obvious this year that there is teams that are conservatively that excuse me that are really trying to go ahead and 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 make it obvious that they're tanking even though they're going to say they're not i think it's going to be uh hard pressed for the league to not do something more extensive about it and i i, I see those changes coming at, at least so that's something to uh, think about right there and and definitely want to uh, talk about that more as we go along during the season as well and one last thing i want to ask you before i gotta let you go is because we've talked about this right now being kind of almost like a dead time right now in the league because camps haven't opened up yet free agency is gone uh for the most part uh the summer league is already well and done with alonzo uh, ball mania has already you know died down a bit and whatnot um i want to ask you the league is 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 becoming now pretty much a nine to ten month type window where they can pretty much garner a lot of attention within not only the uh sports realm but also the realm of of you know general talk out there and whatnot which is good and and grabs the attention for the sport that you and i love would it be best to not only lengthen that season that season just a little bit longer start camp sooner or or have the free agent season free agency season start on august the first so you get even a longer window for people to talk about all the things going on in the nba um I think I like what they've done so far, which was in their attempt to stop the uh, players from resting. They lengthened the season. And I'm ecstatic about it. So I don't have to wait until October 30th for the NBA season to start. It starts in a month, you know, middle of October, which I think is a perfect time. Um, I think, like you said, it's like, a you know, eight to ten months where you really talk you talk NBA I think it's more in the you know the eight round this year I think the, the Kyrie thing lengthened the talk about the NBA a lot longer plus um, also the uh, summer league is was as well with uh, right. ball mania kind of and also free agency but I was saying now that the summer league has now become a kind of like an event in and of itself among NBA purists that if they move the free agency period to not coincide with that they could actually lengthen out where the NBA season becomes a talk for maybe almost 10 to 11 months out of the season. How that would affect uh, the draft, though. If you push it past the draft, I think because now it starts, you know, pre-draft. No, no, a free agency you know, starts have, right after, about two weeks after the draft. After the draft? Oh, no, I, I get what you're saying now. Um, I was yeah, you still have the draft. When it, you still have the yeah. draft after you know shortly after the season ends, after the you know after the right. championship banner is held and all that. But I'm just saying, have that draft. Two weeks later, you know, obviously the the summer league continues, but then don't coincide it with the start of free agency, where you have a mix mash of everything going on. So, you know, separate it out, or at least until the end of the summer league before you start free agency, so people can still talk about the NBA for even longer. Because your product with the NBA, NFL, NFL is almost a 12 month season to, to a lot of people because those NFL right. diehards are talking about NFL all year long, even though the actual season is far less than that. With the NBA, they have an ultimate advantage where they can actually continue to provide 
information and excitement to NBA fans all around the world if they just moved a couple of things, maybe the season just a little bit closer to to the beginning of October. I'm not suggesting beginning October, but closer to it, maybe a week earlier. And then also as well, moving back the start of free agency where you have all that hot free agency action going in the month of August. Um, I, that actually, you know, sounds like a viable option um, if they want to, because the competition is NBA, NFL, when it comes to uh, media talking points, you know, having your sport out there. Um, and, and the NBA has actually been doing a very good job lately the last few years of um, um, garnering more real estate, if you will. They're, they're starting to, to take on more months where, you know, the NFL you was really dominant until the Super Bowl. And then, you know, that was the NBA month's talking point. Now you're starting to push more um, through the summer. So those months that the NFL is off, the NBA is, has been snatching that media real estate where you get more talking points with free agency. So like you said, I can see pushing it back. Um, uh, free agency period can give you a little bit more. Um, it'll, it'll bleed into the NFL talk a little bit, but which, which will still dominate the NFL stock talk will still dominate, but it can give you some more uh, revenue in that sense. So I think that is a viable option. Well, that's something like I said, just throwing it out there, just seeing what your thoughts would be on it. At least there's still, with an August 1st time frame as far as free agency is concerned, you're still talking about almost two months for people to, for teams to sign players. And there still would be like a three to five, a three to three week, four week window where, you know, the NBA doesn't have the spotlight, which I know for for a lot of NBA fans out there is is too long of a period indeed but it's all like you said it's all about keeping the attention focused on your league and I think that you know the NFL in the past has done a smart job of doing so and I think the NBA took note of that and if they really truly want to make this a global front and center game like they've always been talking about for what close to 25 years now then definitely we need to you know they need to go ahead and take different a couple more steps in order to keep the sport of the NBA at the forefront of sports fans minds so uh, definitely something to think about there throwing that out at you see and seeing what you think so if you have any thoughts on any of the subjects whether whether it's Kyrie Irving trade whether it's us talking about lengthening the the time frame in which the NBA takes center stage or anything else in regards to expansion or, or basically the way the players' contracts are out there and structured and, and whatnot, please send us your thoughts at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, inside sports, game source, or Humanican Media on Facebook and Twitter as well. And I'll tell you what, Anthony, it's just so great to talk to you each and every time. We, I truly appreciate you taking the time to sitting down with me and talking nothing but NBA great action and I'm 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 chomping at the bit I'm telling you it's almost time it's right around the corner training camps are almost open and and I know you and I both can't wait to see what's going to go on this NBA season absolutely all right again uh, that is Anthony Barberin our man in the know when it comes to the NBA like I said if you have any questions for him 
don't hesitate to send us an email or shoot us a DM, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com or inside sports, humanica media, game source, and pop culture cosmos. And we're gonna send it back to you back at Inside Sports with Charles Smith Jr. and Chris Lardieri. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. I just want to get your opinion on some various things, general things for our audience in the MMA world going on. And first off, uh, you know, a couple years ago, it was made major news of uh, Fertitta selling their interest in the UFC, something they literally just, you know, from the almost from the ground up that they built it up. You know, when it was in when they acquired it, it was not in exactly in the best of shape at that time. And the UFC was I know Dana White, you'll hear his stories about about how it was back then. And I remember watching the the UFC's original first few shows and they were like he said you know some real outlaw type deals but it has transpired and grown you know that and mma as a whole have grown into a a, a huge industry and at, a couple years ago they were bought out for about four billion dollars so i ask you two years later seeing how the ufc has transpired over the past couple of years with the rise and fall of John Jones, the rise and fall of Ronda Rousey, and also the different ventures that Conor McGregor has taken. What is your opinion on the state of UFC and the MMA as whole as it stands right now after that $4 billion sale? I think I think it was a great selling move for the Fertitas. I think that they did it at exactly the right time. Now, as, as far as WMG, uh, I think that's their name. Um, but as far as they go, I, the best part that I can come up with it is when you were a kid and you, and you always wanted this cool toy and it was so shiny and, and awesome and you got it and you go home to play with it and you play for it a couple of days and it's just as awesome as what you thought it was in the store. And then the new wears off. I think that for the first little bit that they own the UFC, everything was fabulous. I mean, you had Conor McGregor just doing big things, Ronda Rousey coming back, just everything that was supposed to happen when they bought the UFC. As of late, we've seen some crumbling cards, uh, just some unfortunate things. We, we've seen Conor McGregor away, the potential forever retirement of Rousey, GSP's, then he's not, then he's coming back and he's fighting Woodley and then he's fighting Bisbing. So you don't really know who's going there. And the lack thereof of real just, I think they're having a bit of buyer's remorse. I, I think they bought that new toy and it was just as cool. Not anymore. I 
couldn't agree with you more on that because at the time there was some great tickets, uh, great selling points in Ronda Rousey, in Conor McGregor, in uh, John Jones, Daniel Cormier, Daniel Cormier, excuse me if I can say that right, Daniel, Daniel Cormier, and a whole bunch more that were really, really top selling, uh, you know, big draws and, and whatnot. So, and they were just starting to really, really tour the entire world and had locations everywhere. And obviously at that time, they were still not able to go to New York, but they were just starting to get the word that they were going to be able to free up the New York market as well. So I think that was, that played into it as far as trying to grow that market as well. And obviously the big sale at that point in time, $4 billion by the Ferdit Fertitas was a great move by them. I couldn't agree with you more on that sense. And definitely, uh, I, I, I agree with your, your analogy as far as the new toy is concerned, because it definitely the newness has rubbed off quite a bit, especially with, you know, all the problems that some of the main fighters have had. And one of those is John Jones. Uh, John Jones recently was reported as a, one of the pre-fight a drug test that he took before his last fight where he knocked out Daniel Cormier, he was tested positive, positive for steroids. So I ask you, Dylan, you know, with that news, it's not exactly entirely shocking, you know, knowing his past history and whatnot. What is this going to do for the UFC as far as a top draw now being possibly out for up to four years? And secondly, what is it going to do for John Jones himself and his career? Is it essentially over? Well, according to Dana, it, it really could be over. I mean, you have a young man that has all the talent to be the greatest fighter of all time, probably the greatest fighter we've ever seen compete uh, up there next to, uh, in my opinion, Silva, uh, people like that, GSP, just people that are considered some of the greatest of all time. And I think that he is potentially greater than every fighter that's ever graced the octagon. He, he's just he's seemingly unbeatable. So when you have somebody like that who's who's so young and has started the mess up so early on in his career, and given chance after chance after chance after chance, and and really just blowing away every shot and and telling the media themselves that that he's a changed man and that uh, he'll never do this stuff again. And, and then doing it right back over again. I mean, I don't know how many more chances you can give a person. Uh, exactly. And, you know, he's had issues with the law. He's had issues already with drug testing before in the past. And uh, I heard the suspension, if it takes place, could be up to four years. And, for a fighter like that, his window is very short. And even if he does get back in four years later, let's you know, say hypothetically, it probably won't be the same John Jones that he was as he is now in his prime. So that's very disappointing news indeed. And obviously it also takes away from a potential John Jones-Brock Lesnar fight, which had been heavily rumored for taking place once Brock Lesnar got off his suspension sometime most likely next year. So that, that puts that by the wayside as well. So I ask you now that there's really a lot of question on who will take that next step in the UFC. If you can name me one fighter, one fighter 
male or female that's going to take that next step and be that superstar that the Rouseys, the Jones, the you know McGregor's, you know, just going down the list of all those great drawing cards before. Who do you think is going to be that next fighter that will take that next step in the UFC and become that big time drawing card? Well, the most unfortunate thing is that we already have that one fighter, and it's a fighter that everybody can't stand. And it it appalls me to hear people not love Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. He's probably the greatest champion of all time. Whether you want to argue that his weight class isn't strong enough, there's still nobody that that wins as decisively as he does and over and over again. At the end of the day, we're still talking about fighting, and a, and a fight can go either way, and this man continuously wins. But outside of that, I also like Max Holloway. He's a young kid, and he's just he just does everything right. Well, it seems to be predicated always within the boxing and MMA world that the heavier weight classes always seem to get the 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 love and the and the shine and the and the spotlight. But like you said, with Demetrius Johnson, he does have the talent and the skill to to be that top drawing card if the UFC promotes them correctly. And in the past, UFC was able to go ahead and go out of the norm and push that that type of of uh, a fighter, even if it wasn't something that they were interested initially in doing themselves. I remember Dana White saying he would never promote as far as women's fights and whatnot. And as soon as he got on the Ronda Rousey back, uh, bandwagon, that took off like a meteor and like a rocket, you know, which became the top drawing card for the uh, top drawing star for the UNC. So the UFC per se. So I just, you know, I, I hope he will get the love and the and the strong backing of the fans and at, at some point in time. And I hope it won't be a situation like, you know, in wrestling. Let's just say, you know, the WWE's version of, of Roman Reigns, so to speak, where, you know, the, the promotion's putting him on top and the fans aren't exactly willing to follow. So we'll we'll uh, hope for the best for, for that sense in Demetrius Johnson. But uh, I also want to ask you, there's always been a competitor to the UFC once it started to gain a foothold with a worldwide audience. In the past, it was uh, Pride. In the past, it's also been World Series of Fighting. Those two really, unfortunately, didn't, didn't uh, materialize eventually as a, as a top competitor. But Bellator, in the past few years, has become... I guess, uh, in its own way, with Spike and, and whatnot, since UFC left Spike, has become a, a competitor to the UFC. But they've done it with some relative unknowns and also some individuals who have left UFC, whether it's because of a certain amount of losses or a certain amount of bad feelings in regards to contract disputes with UFC. So I ask you, Dylan... This is, again, this is Dylan, Man Dylan Manus of the Punched Out Podcast. Dylan, I ask you, do you think that at some point in time, Bellator can actually become a top flight competitor to the UFC and actually someone that, that even the casual fans can take seriously as an as a alternative to the UFC? My opinion on that is... Is Bellator Bellator has has become a big 
competitor of the UFC. Will I? Will they ever reach that caliber? Uh, that is to be determined. I I almost hope they do. Um, but now the World Series of Fighting is Premier Fight League, so we have another competitor in there. They're promoting this new deal that they have, the richest tournament in MMA. That's a that's a good deal. I, I don't think they're going to be a real factor. Um, I think that Bellator is the only real factor. But the thing with Bellator is there, there's two spectrums to Bellator. There's young, unknown guys, old, late in their career guys. So when you when you have that. You, you gain some of what the UFC is losing hardcore fan base um, from back in the day, the 90s. They get to watch some of their favorite fighters live out some of their dreams to get to fight the certain people that they want to fight. Example uh, would be Frank Mir. I, I got to talk to Frank Mir and... Uh, that he would do whatever it takes to fight Fedor. Now that is before Fedor uh, got knocked out his last fight, but um, he told me even if he had to leave the UFC that he just wanted to fight Fedor before he retired. So as we know, Frank has left the UFC, has signed with Bellator. So I assume that that's what he is chasing, as is everybody that's going back and fighting later on in their career. I don't know what Chell accomplish uh i mean we saw tito fight and but then you got uh ryan bader and phil davis who are who are still in in some depth in their career they got they got some time left but a lot less time than uh, probably vanderlei or uh, tito's done and and chell probably don't have much longer frank's probably got a couple fights and if fedor fights again i guess he fights again but uh just judging by his last performance, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see that. But as far as them becoming a competitor, rely on guys um, like MVP, uh, Liam McGeary. I, I like Liam McGeary, um, Linton Vassell. They have to, re- they have to rely on those guys. Um, but what they were trying to do is put their eggs in that, that superstar blue chip wrestler basket, and it backfired on them with Aaron Pico. So um, I remember that. Yeah, they had, they had definitely were trying to highlight them and credit to them for doing so. It just, like you said, it just backfired on them and unfortunately put them back down a notch. They have another wrestler. I, I can't remember his, his name off the top of my head, but he's doing really well for them. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. These college wrestlers that, that they're, they're recruiting, uh, is is a super good thing because the UFC aren't chasing these guys. And in my opinion, wrestling is probably the strongest base that you can have when you come into mixed martial arts. I mean, if you're getting hit, let's get this fight down to the ground. Uh, and on the ground, you just have to worry about your submission. So I, I like wrestling as probably one of the strongest suits that you can come into the mixed martial arts game with. Um, so them picking up wrestlers, especially super high caliber wrestlers, is not a really bad idea but they need some real superstar talent. MVP is a talent that Bellator held. Um, I don't know. I think he might be a bigger star than Eddie Alvarez. And uh, 
really anybody that I've seen come out of Bellator. Uh, there's not a whole lot of superstar factor when you look at Bellator, but he's something special, and I think they're, they need to hold on to him. But what we really got to think is my last episode, I talked to John Fitch. John is the uh, ringleader for getting the Ali Act passed in MMA. I don't know if you're familiar with the Ali Act. He informed me a lot, and then I did a lot more research. But essentially, that would equalize the playing field as far as competing with other promotions. It would really equalize everything and and take away such a dominant powerhouse. Well, there's some great points indeed from Dylan Maness of the Punched Out Podcast. I'm hoping for the best. I would love to see a situation where Bellator gets itself on equal footing with the UFC. I'm hoping that day will come. Uh, maybe you know some champions that they currently have, like Brent Primus and Rafael Car- Carvalho. Rafael Carvalho will will actually be able to take that next step and be able to be those drawing cards that Bellator so- sorely needs, and also Spike TV as well. So that's definitely something we can we can hope for with Bellator trying to become a bigger challenger to the UFC. Um, I, I just want to tell you, Dylan, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show today. Any last thoughts on the, either the MMA scene or your podcast and, and how people get a, can get a hold of your podcast today on your awesome Punched Out podcast? Well, they can get me on Facebook. That's my most active uh, spot. I, I have a Twitter. I do not have an Instagram, but you can find us on Facebook, The Punched Out Podcast. Give us a like. Shoot me a message. Uh, just just let me know what you think about the show. Uh, you can get us uh, by the link I usually share on my podcast page. Uh, it's a link to Libsyn, or you can get us on the I forget what they call it now, it, the podcast app for your iPhone, and you can get it on Google Play and Stitcher. I believe I believe that's it right now, but I'd really Apple appreciate Podcasts, everybody listening. Yes, Apple Podcasts. And that's right. That is Dylan Manus of the Punched Out Podcast that's now available. Get it today. Listen to all the episodes. He's got a list of great fighters he's had the chance to speak to that's going to be available. You can catch it right now on Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, Stitcher, and Google Play. Dylan, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show and I tell you what, it's just I'm hoping that we can, you know, you can come back on the show in the future to talk MMA anytime you like, and I'm hoping you you will do that. And and definitely looking forward to to having you on the Pop Culture Cosmos at some point in the future. I would absolutely love to continue to come on your show. And anytime you have MMA related questions, just shoot them at me, and uh, I'd love to come on here and discuss things with you. Awesome, awesome indeed. So that's Dylan Manus of the Punched Out Podcast. We truly appreciate him being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. To, to us people that can feel things, it, it, uh, it hurts.